Now you can hear me. Okay. So Ben gave a word tonight during prayer, and so I thought I should say something about that. Um, Dan, go ahead and uh, read that. Yeah. Whoop. John. I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong verse. <laughs> See, I embarrass myself, so it doesn't matter if you guys embarrass me. So, <laughs> John fifteen five. Thank you. Um, Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the vine. You are the branch. He who abides, uh, different translations put it different. Some of them say remain. But here's the key is right here, this situation he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a little bit, a few things, nothing. Nothing. Now, the nothing, it's like we can do a lot in our own fleshly power. The problem is it's nothing that is for God. It's nothing of value for God. And so the whole point is that this is God who produces the fruit. And in the scriptures, we see fruit described in two different ways. We see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And fruit is people, people that are converted into the faith and grow and multiply and mature. So those are the two types of fruit that we see over and over in the scriptures. And so we are to produce fruit, in other words, people, to multiply ourselves. And so um, to do nothing is not an option. To do something in the power of God is everything, right? Um, Tonight, what I want to do is give us a somewhat of a biblical theological foundation for the ministry that I believe that God wants us to have. So let me ask this question. Uh, when you think of Jesus' ministry, his, what he did, what he said, all those kind of things, how would you define that? What are some of the aspects of Jesus' ministry? Because I believe we are supposed to carry on the ministry of Jesus. So what are some of those things that, he, that we could define as Jesus' ministry? Relationship. Servanthood. Very good. Teaching. Yes. Truth. And love. Yeah. <laughs> those are good. Example. Yeah. Modeling. Yeah, what are some other ones? 
Miracles, yes. Anything else come to mind? Evangelism, yes. Yes. The gospel, very important message. Um, if we had to summarize Jesus' ministry, how would you do that? Can you think of how you would summarize this? <laughs> to destroy the works of the devil, First uh, John 3.8. Yeah, that's a good summary. Anything else come to mind? Pardon? He showed people who God was. Yes, he was demonstrating um, Colossians 1.15 says that he is the spitting image of the invisible God. In other words, God in the flesh. We can actually see God. Um, I was listening to some tapes by a guy named Gordon Fee, and uh, he teaches up in uh, Regent College in British Columbia. Um, probably one of the top New Testament theologians in the world. Highly, highly respected. And I was, I was listening to him. He was teaching a New Testament class. And he threw this question out to his uh, New Testament class. And he said, out of 32 students, only three got it right. He said this. He said, summarize Jesus' ministry in three words. And I was like, wow, that would be tough. <laughs> what? Preaching, teaching, heal. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? God loves you. That is really good, too. <laughs> I didn't get it right, either. As he threw that out, you know, it's like I... I uh, paused, and I thought, what would I say? Here's what Gordon Fee said. He summarized Jesus' ministry as the kingdom of God. I thought, oh, interesting. Everything, Paul, what you said, fits in that kingdom of God. What you said, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is kind of the overarching concept that Jesus came to deliver. In fact, it talks about in the scriptures the gospel of the kingdom. So I want to just chase through a little bit. In fact, you know, I am really big on uh, learning the Bible. I tell people, don't read your Bible. Study your Bible. Study it. Learn it. Because the scriptures, God left us a book. How awesome is that? How awesome and see, those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. Is this filled with truth? God's truth? Yes, it is filled with God's truth. If you want to get to know God's heart, God's mind, start here. And I want to just kind of chase through um, Luke because he writes a gospel, but he doesn't stop there. He goes and he writes the Acts of the Apostles. And we are so fortunate to have uh, Luke as a teacher. And, you know, he, uh, 
in, in uh, Luke chapter 4, I gotta keep popping here. In Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 18, Jesus quotes uh, Isaiah 61. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to, to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then look down, I'm going to skip around. See, what I did was, I, I thought, boy, if Gordon Fee thinks the kingdom of God is that important, then I want to do some research on it. So, do you guys know what a concordance is? Okay. Use one. Look up the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and start exploring what is this kingdom all about. Here's what we're going to learn. Go down to uh, Luke Chapter 4, uh, verse, let's see here, 43. Or let's start at 42 just to get the context. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him when they came to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news, that's the gospel, of what? The kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Now, just to recall, who sent him? Yeah, the Father. He was sent by the Father. Turn over to uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, I'm just going to point out that in chapter 6 is where Jesus selects the 12 apostles, out of all of his disciples. So disciples were following him. He may have had hundreds of disciples, but he chooses 12 to be apostles. The idea of the, the apostle is, means sent one. So these were people specifically that he was going to send. We get to chapter 8, and it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. Now that's important because Jesus was modeling. Jesus was teaching. Jesus had his disciples with him. He was the coach. He was the master. He was the rabbi. His followers were learning from him. Look down at verse 9 in chapter 8. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. Now, Jesus was teaching. And Jesus said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah. So he's, he says that the secrets of the kingdom have been granted to give to you. So he lets him in on a little uh, information there. Look over at chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. So remember in chapter 8, the 12 were with him. Chapter 9, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he 
gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim, what? The kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Interesting. Now, let me just back up and make a couple comments about that he gave the twelve power and authority. Power is the ability to act. Authority is the legal right to act. So to have authority, authority that has been granted to you gives you the legal right to act on somebody's behalf. So if somebody grants you authority to do something, you can do it. If you don't have the authority to do something, then you're not supposed to do it, or you may be doing it illegally. Um, I used to work in the, illust- in the uh, real estate industry, and we have different legal instruments that we use. And one is called power of attorney. And when somebody grants somebody else power of attorney, that happened to me quite often, because people couldn't be there when we had to do a particular transaction. So we had this formal piece of paper They would say, I give Dave Heinrich permission to act on my behalf. So it's just as if that person was there, but they're not there. I have been granted power of attorney. I was given authority to act on their behalf. Now, typically, it's not authority to do anything. It's a limited power of authority. In my case, it was to deal with real estate transactions. But that's what God is doing. He gave his son authority to act on his behalf. Jesus is now giving his disciples to act on his father's behalf. That's the authority. The power is the ability to do something about it. (laughs) In other words, authority all by itself is... um, not as beneficial as if there is power behind it. An illustration that has often been used, because it's a wonderful illustration, is the police man or woman. They have been given authority from, well, it starts at the federal government. The federal government gives each state the authority to set up a police force, and the state gives each city authority to set up their police force, So the police act on behalf of the city, on behalf of the state, on behalf of the federal government. Does that make sense? So when a policeman stands out in the street and holds their hand up like this, have you ever had that happen to you? You do what? If you're driving down the street and a policeman goes like this, what do you do? Stop. (laughs) That's authority. Now how is it that one person, either a man or a woman, has the ability to stop a car that has 250 horsepower under the in, in the engine. I mean, if the policeman had to go, you know, put his hands on the hood and say, let's see who's stronger, who's going to win? The car, right? So he uses his authority to stop that car. But if that car chooses to ignore the authority, now that's where the power comes in. The policeman usually carries a sidearm. It has a lot of power. Not that they would draw on you, but they can also give you a ticket. And now you have to go to court. They can throw you in jail. They can fine you. That is where there's, um, 
they're looking for a way to make you do what they want you to do. The authority says you need to do this. If you don't do that, there are consequences. That's where the power comes in. We as Christians, in fact, this is what we see here with the disciples. Notice this and think about what I just said. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9 in Luke. When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to do what? Drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. They have the legal right to represent God and they have the power. You know what the power is? The gifts of the Spirit. The um, empowerment of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit. The bursts of energy that God uses to do miraculous signs and wonders. Go down to verse, uh, let's see here, let's start at 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowd learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Wow. Now, isn't that cool? Okay, skip down to, uh, let's see here. Let's go to verse 27. Chapter 9, 27. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Wow. So it was kind of like the kingdom of God is to come, but it seems like it's going to be coming pretty quick because he says people that are standing here aren't going to taste death until the kingdom actually comes. Look over at uh, verse 60 of chapter 9. This is when some disciple, in fact, uh, let's start up at 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, you, you need to understand that this was probably the second burial. What they would do in that day and age is they would put somebody in the tomb, full-bodied, and when they would decay down, they would take their bones and put them in a, a really small box, uh, some kind of a small sepulcher. And they would do that a year later. So on the date of the death, they would go back and gather the bones, and then they would put them in a small box. You, sometimes you see archaeologists that deal with that. Um, most scholars believe that's what this guy is talking about. Well, wait a minute, I, I can't go and follow you because my, the anniversary of my dad's death is coming up, and I need to get his remains and bury him finally. You know, the, the first burial is simply temporary. And look what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead. See, his dad's already died. And um, he's referring to spiritually dead. But you go and proclaim what? The kingdom of God. That was the message. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, 
No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Wow, that seems kind of brutal, does it not? There is a focus, there's an intentionality about the kingdom of God. So to be fit for service in the kingdom of God, to proclaim the kingdom of God, um, interesting ideas. Chapter 10, the first verse of Luke, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now skip down to verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them what? The kingdom of God has come near to you. Wow. So we're getting this idea that there's the, the kingdom is future, but it's kind of near. It, it's close. And then um, skip down to verse 16. Jesus makes an interesting statement here. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Does that sound like a power of attorney? Yeah, the legal right to represent somebody. Jesus is saying, hey, if they listen to you, it's like listening to me. And if they reject you, it's like rejecting me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So see, there is the delegated authority that he is talking about right there. Now notice the 72 come back. Verse 17, the 72 return with joy and say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow. Now, wouldn't that be cool if we could see that happen? Well, let me tell you, you can. And you should. And you will be in the future. If you've never seen that, you will be seeing that. Not because I say so, but because you're going to understand that that is your service. That's kingdom service. Now notice this, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, your identity as a child of God is way more important than what you do for God. Do you get that? Who you are as a child of God is way more important than what you do for God. However, because you are a child of God, you can do all the things that God is giving you power and authority to do. I just want you to know that you have the right to do it. You're not out of bounds to do that. And you also have been equipped with power to do that. Look over at um, eleven, chapter 11, verse 20. Now this is in a, a situation where they're accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the head of all demons. He says, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Wow, again, that's pretty close. For the kingdom of God to come upon 
That is very close. Look over at uh, 1318. What is the kingdom of God like? Great question. What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Interesting. So the idea that the kingdom is going to start small as a seed and then grow into a big bush, or the idea that it's a little bit of yeast that is going to influence the whole of 60 pounds of dough. That's a lot of bread that they were making. Um, What's that? Um, skip, I'm going to skip a few of these places. Skip to 2351. I just wanted to show you how prevalent the kingdom of God is. And all through, uh, especially the Gospels. And Jesus is teaching. Um, this is the situation. Well, let me just start at verse four, uh, 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council. That was the Jewish ruling council, probably the Sanhedrin. A good and upright man who had not um, consented to their decision and action. In other words, to crucify Jesus. He came from the Judea town of Arimathea. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So this is Joseph of Arimathea, who was a very high up Jewish um, council member. And it says he was waiting for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was something that the Jews were anticipating. They were um, wanting to see the kingdom of God come. Now, we oftentimes think of the kingdom of God or kingdoms in geographical terms. For instance, um, kingdom of God would be, you know, like the borders of a state or a country. It's like that's not how it works. Um, Don't think in geographical terms. Think of in authority terms. The kingdom is whoever submits to the authority of the king. So it's about the rule and reign of the king. It's not geographical in nature. It is completely about submission. So the kingdom is where we find people submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. The interesting thing is that we see this kingdom preached about over and over and over. Turn with me to the book of Acts. And here Luke continues to um, give us understanding. Verse 3 of chapter 1. 
After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. Now, Jesus knew he was going to be ascending into heaven shortly. And so he's leaving his key people that are going to start a revolution in the world. And what does he talk to them about? The kingdom of God. How important is this message? Now, the understanding of the disciples was that this kingdom was going to usurp the Roman Empire that they were under at that time. They were looking, they were thinking Davidic kingdom. In other words, like the kingdom that David ruled over, that that was the idea of the kingdom of God, that there was going to be a political ruler that was going to come and oversee the entire world, that this kingdom of God was going to take shape and there was going to be wonderful things to happen. Isaiah talks a lot about this coming kingdom. Uh, Daniel 2, uh, chapter 7, uh, 10, talks about this kingdom that God is going to bring in the future. So this kingdom was anticipated by the Jews. And they're looking for this ruler to come forward, and they were excited about this, this uh, potential Messiah that was going to be the ruler. Messiah, what does Messiah mean? Anointed one, yes, that's the Hebrew, Messiah. Christ is the Greek, means the same thing, anointed one. So they were looking for this Messiah, this Christ, to come and bring this wonderful kingdom. The disciples, uh, starting at verse 4, now on one occasion while he was, this is Acts chapter 1 again, he was uh, eating with them. And gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're still waiting for this. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. And it's like, okay, Jesus, now are you going to bring the kingdom? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. The kingdom, it seems is the significant thing that Jesus was ushering in. Look at Acts chapter 8. And um, this is where uh, we're seeing some revival happen through Philip. And uh, verse 11, they followed him because he was, uh, uh, well, I guess we'll start at 9. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and was amazed at all the people of, was, ama- was amazed, all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he, had so- he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and claimed, this man 
is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And you can see the results of uh, Philip. And his, um, he was performing, if you look back at uh, verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to him. There was healings, there was miracles happening, and that's what drew their attention. This sorcerer, who's familiar with power, came and he actually got converted, understanding that the power was even greater than his. So we see the kingdom of God. Let me um, bounce to through here. Um, let's see here. Go to 14.22. I'm going to start at 21. Chapter 14.21. This is um, the missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. They preached the gospel in the city and won a great number of disciples. When they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So we see that the kingdom of God is something that you enter. Again, kind of going along with Jesus' teaching on that. Look at 19, chapter 19. This is where Paul goes into Ephesus and plants the church there. Paul enters the synagogue, oh, verse 8, I'm sorry, Acts 19, verse 8. Paul enters the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul was arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now let's go to the last chapter of Acts, chapter 28. Look at um, he actually is uh, the kingdom of God is mentioned in verse twenty three. But let's go and skip down to verse um, thirty and thirty one. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, why am I making such a big deal about the kingdom of God? Because the New Testament makes a big deal about the kingdom of God. The Gospels make a big deal about the kingdom of God. Jesus made a big deal about the kingdom of God. Um, Paul made a big deal about the kingdom of God. This is our theological basis for why we do signs and wonders. It is all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom started out in the creation. I'm going to draw a timeline here. In the beginning, God created... Yes. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is that dark enough? And um, what happened was the fall. So we go down into this deal, and we're coming along, and the prophets and um, the Davidic kingdom, all those things are happening here. They're looking for this Messiah to come, and what this Messiah is going to do is he's going to introduce the kingdom of God. So this was known as um, this present age and this was known as the age to come. So Messiah was going to come at this point and introduce a whole new realm of what was going to happen. I talked about Isaiah talking about this kingdom that was going to come. He talked about the lion and the lamb laying down together. The little boy putting his hand into the serpent's uh, nest and not being bitten by the cobra. Um, Plowshares were, or uh, weapons, swords and, and uh, spears were going to be uh, pounded into, into plowshares. It was going to bring a whole new realm of what was to come. What happened though, so this was going to be a political um, new move like the kingdom of David. Um, but what happened in the kingdom of David? You remember when he was running from Saul, Saul eventually, he took himself out. Um, he, David was anointed king many years before he actually was established. When he um, took over the kingdom, he only got half the kingdom for about six years, and then he got the whole kingdom. Well, what we see in the kingdom age is the disciples that were faked out was that this age continued to go. So this present age continued to happen. And this age was inaugurated by Jesus and what we see in what he did at the cross. So Jesus did bring the kingdom of God. So the kingdom, technically speaking, is here. And the demonstration that the kingdom is here is the signs and wonders. So the miracles that Jesus brought the signs and wonders is the whole foundation for why we can see the signs and wonders happen now. Not only are we to proclaim that the kingdom of God is here, but we are to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here. Uh, look back at Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you where he makes this really clear. Every time he gives them power and authority, talks about the kingdom, and he sends them out to not only preach the kingdom, but to do the kingdom works. Matthew 10, starting at verse 1, Jesus called the twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now skip down to verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. 
The kingdom of, he calls it the kingdom of heaven, has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. So the whole concept of the kingdom is that it is here in Christ and this age to come we often hear Jesus talking about not only in this age, but the age to come. The Apostle Paul uh, talks about not only this age, but the age to come. There is this coming age that has come, but there is a time, and we call this the second coming of the Messiah. So during this time, this is called the church age. So this is when the church was established. And what we are to be doing is seeing this age to come manifest itself down here on earth. Did Jesus not tell us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? So the concept, this has been um, called the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. So the kingdom is here, but it's not here in its fullness. It's been inaugurated, but it has not been consummated. We are in a battle right now to see God's kingdom, this age to come, here in this present age. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not prevail. We are to storm the gates of hell and to open those up and to rescue the people out of Satan's control under his dominion. You and I have been granted the authority, the legal right to do that, and the power to do that. The question is, are we going to do it? And unfortunately, the church in general has kind of backed away from that. And to see real revival happen is we've got to have the boldness of the Holy Spirit and the understanding that we have been given the anointing, we have been commissioned, we have been ordained, so to speak, to go out on his behalf and to rescue those people who are under the bondage of Satan. This is the theological, biblical underpinning for signs and wonders. It's the kingdom of God. I, I remember being taught that Jesus did the miracles to prove his deity. Well, I no longer believe that anymore. Because if he did that, why would he give his disciples the ability to do signs and wonders? Were they proving their deity? No, that would confuse people. Oh, anybody that does signs and wonders must be from God or must be God, they're from God, but they're not God. He gave that same power and authority to the 72. And then he finally, in Matthew, in fact, we see this, where he says in uh, the final chapter, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a lot of authority, would you agree? All authority in the whole universe has been given to Christ. And he says, 
Because of this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you. What did he teach them? Teach them to observe everything that I taught you. He taught them to go out with power and authority and to bring the kingdom. We see healing and deliverance as part of the kingdom, part of the message. And we in the Western world have separated those out because we don't really believe in signs and wonders. They're too hard. But we can preach the message. But I want to submit to you, I think God is ready and waiting for us to walk in signs and wonders. I think his heart is to to reveal to his people that he wants to do that. I think, though, on the other hand, that um, because of immaturity, because of pride, um, see, when you walk in pride, we try to do that in the flesh, and we can't do that in the flesh. And so we've got to do it under the unction, under the power, under the empowerment of the Spirit. Levi, do you have a question? Yeah, great, yeah, great point. It's about God's character, that he actually is a good God. He's a gracious God. And I think sometimes we have made God, there are so many misunderstandings about who God is. Oftentimes in my evangelism, I am simply dealing with misconceptions, misunderstandings of who God is. You know, it, it still blows me away. How could somebody who understands who God is that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for their sin, to make them a child of God, to uh, bring them into eternal life, how could somebody say no to that? There has to be some kind of twisted understanding of who God is for people to resist God. And that's what the enemy does. See, he blames all this bad stuff on God, so people are kind of backing away from God. And who are they backing into? Satan. You know, if God does all this evil stuff in the world, and that is sometimes people's theology. Uh, in fact, the insurance companies call these catastrophes acts of God. Well, read the Bible. Those are acts of Satan. <laughs> read Job. Um, Satan was the one that uh, brought the storms and the lightning and the tornado and uh, the, all the bad stuff. That wasn't God that did that. And so to help people grasp who God really is is part of our, part of who we are. Um, two things that God, or that the Apostle Paul said that we are to do um, in representing God is Second uh, Corinthians 5, um, 17 and following. He talks about that we are to reconcile God. We're new creatures. We are to bring reconciliation to this lost and fallen world. Jesus himself said in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And then he says we are ambassadors for Christ. Right? What does an ambassador do? 
He uses diplomacy. That's what he does. You and I need to use diplomacy when we talk to people. Romans 2, 4 says this, Don't you know that it is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance? It's his kindness. It's not his anger. You're going to hell if you don't receive Christ. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, I think we've got a lot of people that have received Christ in order to get out of hell. They didn't receive Christ because he's such a loving God. They didn't receive Christ in order to serve him. They didn't receive Christ to um, walk in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. They didn't receive Christ for any of that. They received Christ to get some fire insurance. And boy, we have seen the results of that. Even the idea of um, receive Christ to go to heaven. Well, that's true. You will go to heaven, but the point of receiving Christ, it's about relationship with the Father. It's about relationship with the Son. It's about relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's that intimacy and relationship that he wants with us. Jesus himself defines eternal life in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Yeah, to know God and Jesus Christ that's about relation. That's what eternal life is, is relationship. And once that relationship begins, there's a maturing, there's a, a growing, there's a, 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 a development in that where we fall more in love with Jesus and we begin to get his mind and get his understanding of how life is to be. And when we walk in that, we see God do awesome things. And that is what is so fun about seeing him um, minister to people. I get opportunities. Yesterday at church, a gal came up to me and um, said something that she was uh, struggling with depression and blah, blah, blah. I said, could we pray right now? Yes. Ask permission. Can I put my hands on your head? Yes. And prayed for her right there. It just took 10 seconds. God can do wonderful, beautiful things in 10 seconds. Now, sometimes, now I don't know that God um, set her free. You know, I said, um, I'll be here next Sunday. Come back and we'll pray some more if we need to. So I always have an open invitation, but I've seen God work incrementally sometimes. There's, There's so many different layers of things that we go down deep in that, but always to take the opportunity to pray for people when, um, when there is opportunity. I think what Paul and Karen were talking about at that wedding, it's like people need the delivering, healing power of God. And we've got that within us. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, we just saw John fifteen five that Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And unfortunately, I think, um, I mean, I look back at some of my young ministry, and I don't know that I was accomplishing all that much. It looked good on the outside, 
But for the kingdom of God, I think it really lacked. And so to help you come into that, and this whole the reason why we're having these meetings is we want to coach you in how to do that. We want to coach you. This is our practice so that you can go to the streets. But you have to understand something up here. You have to understand the word of God and your basis for why can we do signs and wonders? Because the kingdom is here. And God, just like Jesus gave his apostles power and authority, he has given you and I power and authority. And we don't have to walk in fear and intimidation. So with this, I want to do some demonstrations, and we're going to um, pray for healing. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And um, I did this a few weeks ago, but I, I know as a teacher that to um, practice things over and over and over, you know, when, when you're learning a musical instrument, you don't do it just once and then you get it, right? You have to do it about a thousand times, and then you're still learning. Aren't you constantly learning as an athlete, as a musician, whatever? So um, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to give us words of knowledge. Words of knowledge come in different ways. Um, Nate last week talked about how to hear God. And so some of those ways that we hear God is uh, audible voice, but oftentimes sympathetic feelings, um, an image that comes to your mind, a picture that comes to your mind, just kind of knowing in your knower. And we're going to ask God just to reveal some words of knowledge tonight, and then we're going to pray. So I hope to do some demonstration, and then we'll all do that. And to have a time of question and answer, because I think that's where we really learn in uh, being able to um, ask and uh, informally just deal with what's going on. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come in your power right now. Bring your gifts of insight, of word of knowledge, that you would manifest those among your people right now. Let's just wait on God. Just let him speak to you right now. Lord, we just thank you for speaking to us, and we just ask you to uh, teach us how to move in your power, in your authority. Thanks, Lord. Okay, let me ask, who got anything? Let's just kind of throw them out before we have anybody uh, acknowledge anything. Anybody feel like, and again, this is where you get to take the risk, and this is where you learn how to, you know, was that God or was that me, um, sharing it out loud, and that's where you get to kind of find out whether that was God or whether, whether that was you. And when you do that enough times, you begin to 
learn what is authentically from the Lord and you get to learn what is your own imagination to a certain extent. So that's why this is helpful. That's why this practice is important that we can do this. Anybody get anything? Okay. Is there anybody here that has um, bad dreams and it wakes you up, startles you, and you have trouble sleeping at night? Because I want to pray for you. <laughs> so don't be shy. Anybody resonate with that? Okay. Okay. Do you mind if I pray for you in front of everybody? Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, please. And your name is Laura? Laura? Okay. So, um, you can sit down. And when I pray for people, usually I go through some, I have tracks that I run on. So first of all, I want to know kind of what is going on because this may give me clues in how to pray. So that's what I'm looking for. So I'm listening to her on a natural level, but I'm also listening to God on a spiritual level because he may highlight something that she says that may, I may ask more questions Oftentimes, um, there's a whole dialogue that comes out of this, but we'll just see where that goes. <laughs> so, Laura, you said um, that oftentimes these dreams are spiritual. Mm -hmm. uh, can you describe it kind of in a general sense? Mm -hmm. You don't have to get specific, but do they, um, are they scary? Um, they used to be. Okay. Um, Okay. Um, Let me just pray for that. Okay. Lord, just give uh, Laura um, a refreshing anointing right now that she could think clearly that um, your spirit of power would be here for her healing and for her enjoyment. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we rebuke any power of the enemy that would want to try to confuse or um, derail this uh, healing or deliverance here. So, Lord, we just ask you to come in your power right now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, what I remember is it's usually in a supernatural place, like some level. And um, happened a couple of times, I would say in the last four months, the beauty of these dreams is that they used to be where I would be afraid when I was, in fact, um, the victim, and it's turned, so now I have become the victor. Okay. But I don't, 
I mean, I've prayed and repented for like, I know they came years ago when I'd watched Judith, and my mom told me, no, you can't watch Judith because it's wrong. And I don't know if you guys remember Bewitched, (laughs) and um, who was that girl that had the black hair? At any rate, Samantha's sister, and she was up in the corner, and man, did that. What would happen is I would end up in a room, and I could not leave the room because of a darkness, and I couldn't scream. I couldn't do anything. I was just there, and that has completely gone. Wonderful. Yeah. So there has been repenting there and so on um, years ago. But I'm so sorry. I can't. I mean, it resonated. Yes, I do get them. Every once in a while, I'll wake up and it's like, wow, this was really scary. But I, but like I said, there's been no victory kind of yeah. over the darkness. Yeah. It's been victimization in the darkness now. Yeah. That is wonderful. So... Um, Nope, you're not done yet. We're going to see. <laughs> I think God wants to get rid of all that stuff. Okay. So these are things that uh, torment normal Christians all over the place are tormented with dreams, nightmares. I should just say nightmares, night terrors, those kind of things. And those are usually from the enemy, and it's very common that they are spiritual. And uh, little kids especially um, get these things. And for us to recognize the importance of that and empowering even children to deal with that, I think is very, very important. Um, So in this situation, what I'm hearing her is that there's been a progression of uh, being scared, recognizing that you may have opened the door for some of that by disobeying your mom who said, don't watch Bewitched. So you well, said you... Told, I gave this... Okay, yeah. You, but I you repented f- right, from that. Right. I don't understand that. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, whether she knew it or not, it was for your safety, for your benefit. Right. Evidently, she knew that there was spiritual content there. She's trying to protect you from that. Mm-hmm. But being a nice little rebellious kid, as we all are, <laughs> want to venture into the unknown. And it's such a fun show. Um... So you sit down and watch it, and now you've, uh, even later in life, um, you feel tormented from time to time, getting these night terrors. But then, understanding your authority in Christ, you began to deal with those. Mm -hmm. And so you became the victor rather than the victim. Mm -hmm. And how would you deal with that when you were, um, like, say you were sleeping, and you get this... Um, nightmare, how would you deal with that in a victorious way? What would you do? So you would actually get up. Oh, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. I don't run that, Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. I don't. I mean, I might have at one point, but now I don't. Yeah. Now it's like, no, I'm going to stay in the majority. And yeah. Stay in the majority. Yeah. Okay. So um, 
let me just pray for you, and then I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about this, maybe in general. Okay. So keep your eyes open. One of the things you want to learn, no, you get to shut your eyes, <laughs> but all of us, um, one of the things that you want to do when you pray for people, you want to keep your eyes open because um, 80%, 70 to 80% of communication is nonverbal, and we want to watch what the Spirit of God is doing. Okay? So I want to, what I'm going to be watching for is the Spirit of God connecting with Laura, and as I speak different words that I'm sensing God giving me, I'm going to see if there's any effects going on. And so um, you get to just relax and just be a sponge, just receive, okay? okay? Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and bring your healing presence and wholeness to Laura right now. Laura, is it okay if I put my hands on your head? So now I just had an image in my mind of hands like this on her head because um, I think, you know, the enemy, when we are asleep, we're kind of vulnerable. So we're in the hands of uh, the Lord here. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to put a guard around her mind as she sleeps And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rebuke the enemy and anything that he is trying to do here to um, cause confusion, to cause intimidation, to cause any kind of uh, victimization. Lord, we ask you to deal with this right now. Night terrors. We command you to stop by the authority of the living God, Jesus Christ. Leave, Laura, and don't come back. Lord, I ask you to place your peace on her forehead and just surround her with your love and your kindness. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, thank you. Yeah, have a seat. Um, One of the things I want to show you that um, that I think will be helpful, let me use this black one. Um, When I use the term Satan, what I mean by Satan is not necessarily him personally, but any of his influence, demons. You know, Satan is a fallen uh, angel. Um, So talking about any kind of spirit that would be under his authority. So The one thing that we see in the scriptures that Jesus uh, tends to do is he um, speaks to Satan, and he also speaks to God. 
Um, to Satan, it's usually a rebuke. Uh, and simply a, a rebuke means to stop it, to throttle off, to choke off. Um, to God, we are typically asking. To Satan, we are commanding. And oftentimes, um, what I've found in the evangelical community is that we try to do this in these situations. In other words, we're kind of talking to God to command Satan. And that is an okay prayer, but when we look in the scriptures, what we see is that um, Jesus was speaking directly to the enemy, to the situation. We see Paul doing that. We see... um, uh, Peter doing that in the book of Acts. And um, I should, you know, let's see here. So this is us. We're praying, asking God to deal with Satan. But then we have the responsibility and the authority to deal with him also. So it's kind of like um, evangelism. Let's say I was going to do some uh, witnessing. And uh, here's this person over here. And I start praying to God, God, would you please, you know, bring this person to Christ? Now, that's a good prayer, is it not? But there's something missing. We've got to actually... um, speak the gospel to this person. And so sometimes I think we get so, we use our prayers kind of as an excuse not to do stuff. It's kind of a way to um, be spiritual without having to do anything. That He commanded us to go out and make disciples. That means we have to actually, uh, the first step in building, making a disciple is seeing somebody converted. And when somebody is converted, then they begin to grow in discipleship. And so um, to ask God to do something and then us not to be involved in that, I'm not sure how effective that is. I've seen this be way more effective, and the same thing here, that when we in boldness can speak to Satan or, or a condition Um, we see the effectiveness. We also ask God to deal with stuff. But this is where um, I see that we tend to shy away. And I think that that is where um, a lot of power lies in what we speak. And so, and we don't have to do that harshly. We don't have to do that yelling and screaming. We want to be very respectful of people. We don't want to scare people away, right? And so that's where to be what we hear the term naturally supernatural, is you just, when you talk to God, you talk to him in your natural voice. When you talk to Satan, you speak to him or his demons in your natural voice. Now, you do, I I believe you do have to be stern, but um, the whole idea of speaking has um, power in it. And... 
we just don't do that a lot of times. Um, so you heard me speak to uh, um, a spirit of, or I don't even necessarily know technically sometimes if a spirit is there when I'm praying, but I'll speak to a condition, okay, like night terrors. Um, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop it. You can't be here. Get out of here. Leave and don't come back. So I'm not talking to God. Did you notice that? I'm talking to the night terrors. So I'm not saying, God, tell these night terrors to get out of here and leave. Now, I could pray that, but I found it to be way more effective if I'm saying, God, bring, you know, Holy Spirit come and deal with this, and now he's giving us authority to deal with it. See, the thing is that he tells his disciples, he says, you go and cast out demons. You go and heal. You go and raise the dead. So we have to have some kind of deal in that. Now, honestly, we don't have the power and authority in and of ourselves. It's only what God grants us, right? So I tell people all the time, I don't have the power to heal, but he does. And what he does is he does it through us as we step out in faith and trust him to pray for people, to lay hands on people, and to um, expect him to show up and do things. And so to not be afraid to speak directly to the condition. And you don't have to do that harshly. You don't have to yell and scream. See, um, spirits understand authority. And if, you don't, if you're not walking in the authority that Jesus Christ has given you, in other words, you've got to believe that you have it. If I show up as a representation uh, or representing somebody in a real estate transaction, and I'm like, gee, I don't know if they really want me to represent them or not. I, so I, I wouldn't sign anything because I'm not sure. But when I can go and I say, I've got the paperwork right here. I am representing my clients to do this real estate transaction so I can sign my name on behalf of who I'm representing. And I think that's how God wants us to do it. He wants us to show up in boldness, in confidence, knowing that the kingdom of God is here. And we have been granted to demonstrate the kingdom of God. It's here. No excuses. Now, is it here in its fullness? You know, everybody that I witness to doesn't receive Christ. Everybody I pray for doesn't get healed. But I continue to pray for them. I pray for them over and over and over if I need to. <laughs> like this gal I told Sunday, come back next Sunday. I'll be here. We'll pray some more. And maybe there'll be an opportunity if I sense that she needs more like a sit-down prayer time because there's different uh, situations then maybe we'll schedule something and she'll show up and I'll have a prayer team of different people uh, to pray with her. So those are things that I think the church needs to get involved with. That's you and me as Christians. that need, We need to expect God to do that, understanding theologically, because the enemy is going to try to erode that. Why should I pray for healing? Why, why can I expect God to heal? Because the kingdom of God is here, that's why. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. That's why we can expect him to heal. To demonstrate his goodness. To demonstrate um, his power.
So um, I want to have a time where we can pray for each other. And if there's n even if there's not anything that we would identify to even pray blessing for one another can be really helpful. Before we do that, let me answer questions, comments. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, that's very good. Yes. Yes. You know, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. You can kind of see my where I drew the kingdom and it's coming down. When you read the scriptures, Read the New Testament with a kingdom understanding because Ephesians 2 talks about, in fact, Ephesians 1 talks about that the power of God that is in us is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and that he put Jesus above, seated him above every power and authority and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That's Ephesians 1, 19 through 22. Then, chapter 2, he says that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, where? In the heavenly realm. So to bring down those blessings, to bring down, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. We have been given that authority and that power to deal with that. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, yes, that's a very good book. Yes, I think it's 68 pages long. Sit, walk, stand. If you haven't read that book, get that. Um, questions, comments. Have you seen healing power? Do you see that often? Do you want to see that more? How do, yes. Well, yeah, the whole, the whole concept of fasting and prayer is simply to um, connect us in more intimacy with Christ. And so when we have more intimacy, um, there is a, a, a knowing of more confidence, of walking in um, knowing more about how to help people. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's one of the ancient disciplines that, you know, Christians used to do a lot of. And so there are scriptures, you know, uh, particularly the one where the disciples couldn't cast out the little kid's demon. They said this kind only is done to it by prayer and fasting. And that's some of the manuscripts. They, they say, well, some of the older manuscripts don't have that. Some of the other ones do. 
But it's a good concept anyway, to, to pray and to fast, because our intimacy with, with God is so invaluable in knowing how to function in what he wants to do, when and how, all the timing, and all those kind of things. Yeah, good comment. Yeah. Let's stand up and uh, let's do this. Why don't we grab partners and gals with gals, guys with guys. I think we can do that. Um, and we will just pray for each other. And if there's nothing specific, we're just going to bless each other. Okay? So to bless each other, to um, rebuke the demon, keep your eyes open as you're praying for people, but to rebuke any kind of uh, evil that may be there to um, bring freedom and deliverance. All right?